Before we get into tonight's podcast, I wanted to start off discussing an issue that's really stood out to me and I feel is especially pertinent given the coverage of the game in Australia at the moment. So for the next few minutes, bear with me while I channel my inner Will McAvoy and go on a personal diatribe. Right now, I think it's fair to say that football in Australia is not in its best shape. There's a lot to fix on and off the pitch, but it feels like we can only get so far without addressing the toxic attitudes of the supposed rusted-on football fans. I'm not asking for everyone to break out the pom-poms and say that everything's awesome, because it's not. It feels like every week something comes up that's an issue, but the bulk of them are not unique to the sport of football in Australia, despite what some would have you believe. There are plenty of problems that I'm well aware of, but I'm far from qualified to offer educated opinions on from my position. But one area I am very much invested in is the media coverage and the perception of it. I'll put my credentials on the table now. I have a Bachelor of Arts majoring in Media Studies in Film and Television, plus a Master's in Journalism. For the last nine years, I've covered various sports, predominantly football and American football, from multiple outlets, and as some of you may know, my day job is doing web and social content for GVC Australia on the Ladbrokes and Nance brands. In my spare time, I commentate matches and host this podcast. Sport's my life. One of the biggest complaints I hear is that football doesn't get the coverage we feel it may deserve from the major media outlets such as News Corp, Fairfax and the AAP. It's more than fair to feel that way, and quite frankly, I agree. For the supposed fan base football has, the level of coverage is disproportionate. However, there needs to be a certain level of ownership for our role as fans in this. There seems to be a desire to have our cake and eat it too. We want to complain that the coverage is not as in-depth as we would like, but plenty refuse to engage when there is coverage offered. It's a fairly simple business equation. They write what generates traffic. There are hard-working people in Brisbane alone who cover the A-League, most notably Marco Monteverde and Ed Jackson, plus guys like Vince Rigari in Sydney who love football and put in the effort to cover it when they can. If you choose to boycott all News, Cop st- News Corp stories because of Rupert Murdoch, so be it. I won't tell you to stop. But if nobody's reading the football stories they're putting out, complaining about the quote-unquote Broncos Mail isn't really going to achieve anything. The reason they get pages of coverage every day is because they know people will read those stories. It's really not that complicated. Here's where I'll hold firm to one of my major rules. It's all well and good to complain and point out what's wrong, but it doesn't help anyone if it's not accompanied by some constructive solutions. So, here's mine. If you want to get more football coverage in these outlets, read the ones that are published now. Show them that there is value in covering our game. One of the biggest issues newspapers face now is the shift to online consumption, and they're still paying for making stories available for free for so long. But but the subscription model is there for a reason. Breaking through that paywall to read stories, copying and pasting the text to Facebook, or posting a photo of the paper is plagiarism, theft, and above all else, damaging, damaging to the desire to get more stories published. It takes away clicks and suggests that there is little value covering football. Why would they put in the resources covering a sport that doesn't generate traffic? There is another option as well though. If you want to choose to ignore the major outlets, there are several places that try and fill that void that you can throw your support behind. First of all, there's this podcast. We try our best to provide as comprehensive a coverage as possible, something that remains a passion project for the three of us. We're yet to make a dollar doing this, we're doing it for the love of the game, and right now, this is something that is restricted to our spare time. If you like what we do, share out our podcast feed, direct people towards our socials, and get your friends to help us grow. It's not just us, however. People behind our partners at Football Nation Radio are doing their best to run a business dedicated solely to the coverage of football. So listen to their shows, subscribe to their social and podcast feeds, and read their website. There's any number of fan-made podcasts out there as well that cover their respective teams, usually in greater depth than any national publication can, because we live and breathe the fortunes of the club day in, day out. 
I honestly hate hearing that there's no coverage of our game when there's plenty out there if you just look outside your bubble. Support the people who do put in the effort to cover this league and help us all grow. As much as I want to try and avoid the petty Code Wars debate, one area it's currently unavoidable to face is in terms of broadcasting. We've all seen the ratings and tried to justify the low numbers by pointing out that they're streaming, but the truth is, but the, truth is the reason Fox is happy to ditch the A-League is that not enough people are watching it. It's something I'm very much guilty of as well. Over the last few years, I've watched fewer and fewer live games not involving the rule, because I can. I'll accept that the A-League as a product has stagnated in quality over the last few seasons, maybe even dropped off a bit, but my view is probably somewhat clouded by the fact that it's going to be really hard to match the joy of the Raw's glory days. At the end of the day, though, it's on us, both as viewers and fans in the stands, to do our part to make the game appealing for whoever picks it up next. I feel like the biggest issue in terms of the A-League as a competition is that it's still trying to find the best version of itself. We know football is played all over the world, we hear it all the time, and in any number of different ways. That's the best part of it. It's not a one-way street that only has one way to glory. Look around the world at the different styles of play, just across Europe alone. Teams can approach the game in so many different ways, and much like physical beauty, we need to learn to embrace it in all forms. As Australians, we have a massive inferiority complex when it comes to football, and it shows in the way fans react to certain things. The desire to label things as peak A-League or bemoan only in Australia shows two things. Firstly, a defeatist attitude that some may feel makes a criticism easier to deal with. It's not a perfect product, but find me one that is. It's not owning our issues if we use them as sticks to beat the A-League into the ground, and football in this country as well. The second thing it shows to me is an ignorance of football and sport in general. Every time there's a less than perfect match, the reactions tend to rush towards doom and gloom. For some reason, we insist on holding the A-League to a higher standard than any other competition in the world. For some reason, we seem happy to give a nil-nil draw between Southampton and West Ham a pass because it's played under the Premier League brand, even if the skills and intensity on show are atrocious. We're willing to ignore or forgive poor play at the top of La Liga, Serie A, and even the Champions League, but not our own game. We can only claim to want to watch the best version of the sport, but that rules out 99.9% .9 of matches played over the globe. The inferiority complex and trying to be the first to ride off the A-League has to stop. We have a game that's oozing with potential, but is fast running out of time to realise it in its current form. The A-League has its issues, but there's nothing terminal that cannot be addressed by James Johnson and his supporting cast. We might just get there yet. That being said, there is not one single group that can fix it on their own, and it's time for football fans in general to accept their portion of the responsibility. If so, you're entitled to ask for certain things, like continually improving the standard of play, investment in junior development, and more. But we need to be better. We need to be smarter. It's as simple as that. Don't just point out what needs improving. Tell us how to improve it, and put in the effort that would normally go into complaining into something better. I don't know if we'll ever reach the heights that we want to because of the unique sporting landscape of Australia, but it really doesn't hurt to try and make this the best form of the sport possible. I'm making these comments as a host and producer of the Brisbane Football Review podcast, as well as a fan that wants our game to fulfil the potential it has teased for so long. I, along with Scott and Adam, are three fans that have sought to provide an outlet for fans through our show and live coverage of matches. We made the decision early on to brand ourselves as a media outlet rather than just three average guys with a podcast to try and provide a better level of coverage for the sport we're all very passionate about. We still maintain our fandom. We don't believe that media has to be perfectly impartial so long as they own their biases. In truth, our passion for the Raw is what prompted us to start this podcast in the first place and has allowed us to keep it going over the past four years. We promise to do our bit by being just that little bit better than your average podcast, trying to be better than just three guys yelling. 
but we can't do it alone. We welcome any and all input from you as listeners, whether you've been with us from episode one or are tuning in for the first time. We'll continue to ask for comments and listener interaction to give you the chance to get your opinion out there. We'll do our part to continue to provide the best level of coverage we can, and we hope you'll continue to support our project by not only listening, but helping promote us as well. It may sound cliched, but tell your friends and family the next time someone says there's no coverage of football. It's out there, I promise you. I like to think there's something here for everyone. Thanks for listening. I look forward to seeing how football evolves over the coming years. Now on to the regular show. Gary Hooper had other ideas. Welcome to another edition of the Brisbane Football Review, which is also doubling as our Brisbane Football Review post-game show because they're playing on a Wednesday night. We normally record on a Wednesday, and yeah, it happens. So, I'm James, and I'm pleased to be joined by Scott, Adam, and also another Scott. So, we'll start off with uh, you, Scott. How are you going? Yeah, very well, James. How are you? Good. Adam, how are you after that game? Yeah, good. Uh, Good. Uh, The result... The result would have been uh, better if uh, Raw won, but look, you know, we'll take the point. It's better than nothing, right, Scott? It's a, it isn't a bad result in the end of the day. Look, I mean, the Raw played reasonably well, but if you end of the day, James, if you play for a point in the last half hour, you better make sure you see it out. Yes, and we should point out that point did come largely, you know, in spite of some fantastic goalkeeping from Jamie Young throughout the match, and you could almost say that point did come largely from him. Yeah, Jamie Young was unbelievable tonight, wasn't he? At least two unbelievable saves. One right at the end of the first half. One midway through the second half. He was in absolutely fantastic form. And it's not the first time this year we've talked about Jamie Young being a key part of why the Brisbane Royal picked up a result. But he was absolutely influential tonight. There's no doubt about it. In all honesty, it's actually not the first time in the last about four years we've talked about Jamie Young being the reason the Raw managed to get something out of that game. Yeah, Jamie was absolutely brilliant in this game. He definitely saved us probably at least one point. If not, if we won the game, it would have been all three. I think we, uh, the Brisbane Roar, they played not the best football, but Jamie Young definitely was the man in the match and kept us in the game. All right, so we'll get into the match discussion now. And I want to start off unchanged lineup from the win over Melbourne victory. And it was once again another fairly slow start, Adam. Yeah, look, um, for, for the conditions as well, it seemed to be... Um, I think both teams are looking to stay in the contest as long as possible. Um, obviously, there was a, a couple of chances at either end, especially in the first half. Um, 
there are, I can't what's his pronounce, Teata Hudson Wyongi. Hudson Wyongi, that's what I'm sticking well, with. Well, yeah, they made, made a miraculous sort of tackle to deny uh, Scott McDonald in the uh, in the first half, and also sort of just for half time, a you know, brilliant save uh, from Jamie Young to uh, to deny uh, Gary Hooper. So, look, the first half in the end sort of said fairly even, um, and then obviously then it was a game of, you know, brilliance. You know, a moment of brilliance was always going to sort of you know, be a difference, or so we thought. Scott? Scott O, that is. Yeah, yeah. I thought this was yeah. a. Sorry, I'm with you, James. I thought this was a proper game. This between two really good sides. That we, we are obviously going to be two of the teams there at the business end of the finals in a couple of weeks' time. And I thought it was a really good game. Both sides had their moments in the game. Yeah, Wellington probably shaded it in the second half, but I thought in the first half Brisbane had three or four really good chances through that midway point in the first half. They created a lot of really good chances. I thought both these sides showed their quality. I thought it was a really good match between two sides who are going to be a real factor in the final series. Definitely. And it was the sort of match you would expect from a third-place team against a fourth-place team. Unfortunately, as it stands, the Raw are the fourth-place team. They did miss a chance to jump up into third place. Although, overall, though, like I don't think there's a lot of negatives to take out of that in terms of their chances for the finals. Yeah, I think uh, if, if someone said to me that at the start of the game I'd take a draw, I, I think that would be exactly something that... Um, I feel like it would. I would say yes, of 100%. I'd take a draw against Wellington, especially at the start of the season, the way that uh, we weren't performing too well, and then we come back and did fairly well. I think at the game there, we definitely had our chances to possibly get a few more goals, but in the day, it's a lot of te- the team will take a lot out of those. Uh, both teams will take a lot out of that performance because of the fact that they both be probably playing each other in the finals, it's gonna both managers have positives to take from that game. Well, some of us may have tipped a draw in our day jobs. I won't mention who. But um, on that as well, Adam, like, do you feel like if this was a finals match, we would have seen a change in approach? And could they have sorted it out in 120 minutes? To, to be honest, I had that feeling of, unless, like I said, again, there was a, million, a moment of brilliance, a moment of madness. This is probably a, you know, a, a game that probably goes to penalties. I think both teams are very easily matched. Uh, even um, Stefan Marinovic in um, Wellington's go- goals made a couple of you know, good saves as well. So, look, I, I agree, I agree with, with um, Scott there that, you know, that's, it was a really even contest. Um, but, yeah, look, if, if this if is in a couple of weeks' time, I reckon we go the distance. But, look, I think just as far as the finals go, I think unless with the way the format is this year, I think if you finish anywhere between third to sixth, Obviously, uh, is not going to really be too much of an advantage. Just first or second is where the advantage comes from. Although, with that in mind, consider that Sydney FC they still have three games to play over the next week and a half, give or take. Uh, Melbourne City have two games to play. So, whereas the Raw and Wellington, they've only got one game left each. So, surely at least for them, that's something that I kind of feel like might work in their favour because if they have to play, you know, three games in seven days of an elimination final, a semi-final, and a grand final, they'll at least be fresh for it as well. Yeah, the Raw have really caught a break here, James, with the way the scheduling's worked in in the post-lockdown period, playing basically one game a week. It was basically a week ago tonight we were talking about the Raw's last game. They've got four or five-day break now until they play Sydney FC in their last regular season game, and then I think it's another full week before they play whoever it is in the finals. So there's there's a fairly lengthy period of time in between games for the Raw, which I think is a real benefit for them going into this period because it's almost it's almost not like a tournament for the Raw. It's almost one game a week. It's just normal service resumed in that way. So I think that's a really positive thing for the Raw in, in this moment. But I also think if these two sides do meet in the finals, they didn't hold anything back, did they? 
Both no, sides, they, both sides played to their absolute best. They didn't hold back any any sort of set plays or tricks and sort of things they might pull out in the finals. So I thought this was a really good game. And we should point out as well, you know, Tom Aldred picked up a very, very early yellow card, but he managed to hold his composure quite well um, to stay in the match. Yeah, Tommy, when he went uh, into that tackle real early in the game and I saw he got the yellow card, I was feeling a bit scared, especially uh, when he did trip up one of the players on the edge of the box. I was thinking, oh, he's, he's on his last draw here. He better not do another foul. Otherwise, we'll be without, cap- without our captain in the last game of the season, which for ACL possibilities in the future could be very difficult for us. So I'm definitely glad that he stayed on the pitch and uh, we held out for a point there because that could be crucial with us making a chance for possibility for ACL. Definitely, and I'm very glad that you bring up the ACL and not the uh, ligament in the knee, which we were all a little bit worried about when Danny Kim uh, went down. Thankfully, he's okay. But on that as well, Adam, you, Scott, and I were talking about this during the match, trying to work out the permutations of ACL qualification based on the A-League. Yeah, look, it comes down to, at the moment, thanks to uh, Wellington not being eligible, that even if uh, if the Royal Finch, uh, even in fourth, or this, well, this is actually for any club, really, uh, and if Sydney do the double, then, um, yeah, look, and it's anyone else, uh, and even if, if uh, Melbourne Sea win, end up winning the grand final, that that fourth place all of a sudden um, becomes um, a Champions League spot. It is a, it is a playoff spot, and it'll be a, the long road. Um, but more into that, again, with the expansion of Asian Champions League in 2021 to uh, five, sorry, eight, sorry, uh, there's 10 groups of four across the two zones. Um, look, it, 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 we're entering new territory. So getting in the playoffs may not be such a, maybe such, not such an arduous task as it was maybe in previous times. Uh, yeah, we won't mention the arduous task of the last time the Roar appeared, appeared in an ACL qualifier. <laughs> <laughs> but I will. I, all I will say is, you know, I'm well aware of sides, you know, some t- somehow lucking out and getting into a continental competition in the final match of the season, even if their overall efforts might not have been uh, up to scratch. <laughs> a certain London club that raised a trophy on the weekend. I thought you were referring to Tottenham and a top six trophies. Isn't that what you were referring to? Oh no, they only win pre-season <laughs> trophies. I know the Champions League <laughs> thing's probably an, an interesting subplot for the Royal trying to make sure they do finish in fourth spot, but I think that might, or, might already be gone now in truth because Perth are only two points behind with a game in hand. Their two games mm. to play are Western United and Melbourne Victory, and I'm pretty sure the way that they're going, I think they're probably going to get the points in those games, which you would see, well, would see Perth finish in fourth place. So that probably would put paid to Brisbane's Champions League hopes. So... If you're hoping for Raw in the Champions League next year, you might be you might want to watch one of those games and hope that one of the Melbourne clubs do us a favour. But I think if that if it does go that way and the Raw are in the fifth place by the last game, I'd almost just say play the squad players in that last game because that would be almost four or five weeks. It would be a long time since a lot of those players have played a competitive game. Let's be honest. If you're going to need them in the finals, you want them to have some match sharpness. If the Champions League squad is gone, that might be the best chance to do it. So... I think, I think at least one of those games for Perth is before Brisbane's next match. So I think that's cause that'll be a really important one to keep an eye on. But if the Champions League spot's probably gone, you might as well rest some players for that final game and have them fully fresh for the finals. I would have, I would have a feeling that it's only nerds like us that uh, we actually be worried about Asian Champions League. <laughs> You're I, right, I, I, would actually, I would actually think that uh, 
Warren Moon, the boys probably wouldn't even be aware of the permutations. And, and look, and that's us hope it is that way because like I said finals first and then, you know what, if they somehow fall into fourth or wherever and make Champions League, that's a bonus. But uh, yeah, I think that might be a very, very low priority for the club, I would think. Presumably, but still, like, get anytime you can get into Asia, surely you have to take that chance though, right? Yeah, I definitely think it's something that they should be hoping for. We did hear at the last end of the last game that they were hoping for second because at that stage it was still possible. Right now, after that result, it's not. But in saying that, we may see us uh, not actually make the Asian Champions League, which in the past it hasn't been the, the worst because we haven't really been able to use our whole squad. But the fact that we've got a really big squad right now, a lot of the players aren't injured. We've got like a, a lot of depth and a lot of positions. Oh, and the way that we're playing this season... We're very hard to beat. I wouldn't put it past us, actually, if we did make a spot in the Asian Champions League to see the Brisbane Roar actually go go and actually make some of the qualifiers actually quite difficult for our opponents because the fact that uh, we're actually hard to beat, we may actually take some of those games to the bigger teams in Asia. I was just going to say, James, that the way the table is at the moment, it might even be actually easier for the Roar, funny as it sounds, to actually go, to get into Asia by winning the grand final because I think that's probably a more likely path at this point, because the glory looked really good last night in their win against Western Sydney, so I really can't... Yeah, annoyingly so, but I can't see them dropping points in these last two games. It's not like they're playing top teams. I know Western United have something to play for, but they haven't looked too great since um, lockdown, so I think that Perth will probably pick up those points, and I think Brisbane's best chance at making the Champions League would be by winning the finals, and we've seen in the big games so far this year, the Raw play quite well, so you can't put it past them. Absolutely not, and well, I want to get back into the match that we just watched as well. Obviously, Brisbane Raw won, Wellington won, if you're just tuning in. Spoiler alert. Uh, I do want to mention as well, the impact that Scott McDonald has had on this side as well. I, I still cannot believe some people still wanted him benched when he's scoring goals. But I do think like what he brings to this side is a massive upgrade over Roy O'Donovan. And I just, uh, yeah, like, it was a fantastic goal tonight. I think I don't think it takes much to be an upgrade for Roy O'Donovan in his time in Brisbane, James. But look, I do think Scott McDonald's been really good since he's come in. I mean, his whole performance here has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, tonight he was... I thought he was the best player on the park for the Raw by a mile. Even, even ahead of Jamie Young, I thought McDonald's performance was really good. It's the little things he does, his movements off the ball. Even his ability to hold the ball up. He had Steven Taylor all over him for a large degree of that game. He was still holding the ball up. For, for a smaller player, he's not, not a bad effort. So he's probably not renowned for holding the ball, but I thought was, I thought that was something he did really well tonight, and that was something he, he holds the ball up, bounce it to Inman, and then you release Wenzel Halls or Corey Brown or Ingot on the right. I thought that was a really important part of the game, and if he turns the ball over there, Wellington are in transition the other way. So I thought he's, I think he's having a massive impact, Scott McDonald, in his time here, not just with his goals, but obviously that was a fantastic strike that he scored, but it's not just his goals that making him an impact player at the moment. Yeah, look, I think, uh, look, it comes down to class is permanent. And um, he's, like I said, he's just shown that, you know, ever since he signed uh, for, for the Raw, that, you know, like I said, he, he's having a profound impact on the way the Raw playing. Not only the goals themselves, but as as Scott said, just, just, um, just yeah, just the little things, that the, the one percent, as they call them, you know, like I said, he, he's doing it and he's been such a valuable asset. And look, he's going to continue to be a valuable asset um, going you know, for the rest of the season, going to the finals. And on that as well, there were quite a few times where I saw him actually chasing down a cross. You know, even though it was over his head, he was trying to keep it in as well. Yeah, it, he's uh, definitely one of those players that 
we just keep giving you 100% effort all the time. And I think the uh, the quote that I actually heard at the end of the game is he's aging like fine wine. And I think that's definitely something that we can all agree on right now. He's uh, He said he's almost 37. He's chasing down balls that you don't think that even like a 19, 20-year-old will get. He's he's putting in a lot of effort. Like It's like the little things like Scott said before that he does. He holds the ball up really well. He plays in a lot of plays. He's very, very smart the way that he plays. And I'd be the first one to say when, it, when the signing did come up, when we... We signed him. I was sort of a bit unsure as to why we signed him because at that stage we had Bro Donovan, we had Muradovic and Amadi Holloway, Dylan Zahors. I sort of was thinking whereabouts will he fit into the team and he's definitely has been an upgrade on Bro Donovan. The fact that he's maybe a bit more of a complete player than Bro Donovan. He, he, can, he can help it be, um, being in, maybe in a bit more of an attacking midfielder role and bringing other players into the game compared to just a target man. Well, that's it. And you need that sort of experience up front as well in when you are playing two strikers up top because for me at least like you've got Dylan Wenzel Halls who has you know come into the side but I feel like at the moment he's in his own head which I know considering some of the stuff I've said about him in the past where you know it seems like he's not thinking enough I almost he looks stressed every time he's on the ball at the moment thinking I have to get this 100% right so that you know I can get another chance on the ball yeah, look, I think he may have been, he may have sort of reached that level at the moment where I think, um, obviously, you know, last sort of two seasons, he's sort of, you know, been the new kid on the block, you know, has sort of really sort of just got under the guard of a lot, a lot of um, teams and, and he's, he's sort of prospered in that. But I think he's at that stage now where it's almost like the sophomore blues where at the moment he's trying, he's, you know, sort of, you know, a bit, a bit maybe worked out by his opponents and look, he's at the moment he, he's, he's still doing some good things but I just think like he's getting in the right positions yeah, he's, he's there for the right place it's just the decision making that you know, comes with the experience and time I think it's just deserting him at the moment so look he's by far by far and away he's still deserving of his spot in the squad but yeah I think you know the, the sort of the whole hopes of that you know he's going to be a, you know, a 15 goals a season score at the moment um, I think he needs to go out and find that next level I think that's just going to be a time thing yeah and as we keep saying with a lot of these young players, this is where he needs the minutes. And, you know, full credit to Warren Moon. He's giving uh, Wenzel Halls the minutes here. You know, I think we're still just waiting for something to click from him here. Yeah, I think Dylan, He, like you said, he is in a bit of his head. But uh, I think it's also the fact that he's sort of trying to learn how to play with uh, different strikers. We saw last year we sort of only played. He was up top by himself. We had uh, Eric Botek, a fast winger there that uh, sort of plays the ball in behind for Dylan to run onto. So the fact that he's got sort of a false nine with Scott McDonald now playing the ball off to him and laying it off to him, he's having to work on a few different partnerships. And once he works that out where he can play off players and like make runs off there, you might we might see a few more goals from this. And I think it's just a confidence thing with him. When, when he bangs in one, he might bang in a few more. Absolutely. And look, if he happens to find his confidence in the next couple of weeks, I'm all for it. But the one thing as well, like I wanted to use this as a segue for as well, is the fact that his main competition for the striker's role at the moment is Mirza Muradovic. And based on some of the comments that Warren Moon had on his Zoom call yesterday, which we'll play in a second, it seems like Moon might not be completely... I I don't think Moon uh, is entirely happy with the way Mirza's been playing at the moment. So let's hear what Warren Moon had to say. Uh, Just quickly on the squad, I saw the squad list came out. It doesn't look like there's too many changes, but... How's the fitness? How are, how are the players looking? Are you expecting anyone to miss? Um, yeah, so obviously unchanged from last week. Um, everyone's doing really well in training. Um, 
the only thing I've asked as a coach in my time here that if you want to be a part of the squad, you must work uh, with and without the ball. And uh, for those that do that well, they're going to be involved in the match day squad. And we've been consistent with that in the last couple of uh, weeks. And, and that's why there's no change in the, uh, the squad. Hey, Mooney, I, like before the break, obviously when you went to coach, Mirza Mordapovic, he was uh, starting and now he's sort of, um, I think he wasn't even in the squad the other night. What, what's, uh, is, is there something, is he, got, is, he, is he under some injury cloud or are you just preparing others? Uh, look, again, I'll make the point, as I said, for me as a coach, everyone has to work. There's no exemptions if you're 36, 17, 18, everyone has to work with and without the ball. Uh, and I'm consistent with my message. And uh, that's my expectations. Any final questions? Is that at him? It's everyone. And I make my decisions based on that. He's going fine. He's doing well. He's training. He's not injured. All right. So that was Warren Moon from yesterday's Zoom call. And yeah, I think that was quite telling the way that, you know, he didn't directly say Mirza needs to work harder, but I think for me, the the rocket shot was pretty obvious. Yeah, look, and uh, it's, I guess, again, it's, it's a, ta- a chance of, you know, a case of taking your opportunities. And um, look, for, for a lot of the good work he's done, um, he ha- there hasn't been that much return as far as, you know, from what's required at the moment. So obviously it might be a case of young player needs to go back, work on a few things, especially under the views of a different coach as well. Like, so obviously uh, Robbie Fowler and Tony Grant obviously had a high opinion of him. Maybe um, maybe Warren Moon is looking for something different in in his strikers. And that, that's, that's always, there's always wins and losers when you coaches come along. And I dare say that maybe Mirza Moravich may not... Um, I wouldn't say not in good grace. I think it's the right word. I think it's just that he needs to go back and work on the way Warren Moon wants uh, from him. And that's the one thing that does surprise me a little bit about the way that Muradovic has basically just been not cast aside, but sent back down the pe- sent back down the pecking order. Boy, I could have gotten that phrase really wrong there. <laughs> but on that as well, I I remember when Marek Mudlow was having a bit of a goal drought at Lions. I think it was last year. It might have been a bit longer ago. Who the hell knows anymore? It was last year. Yeah, but he encouraged uh, Mudlow to, you know, act as a bit of a playmaker, and he had those guys around him. And that's something that I think Muradovic does have in his strengths, his ability to link up not just with guys like Inman and um, Jay O'Shea and whoever else is around him, I'm kind of that's I suppose why my biggest surprise that he's not involved at all. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Those quotes when they when I listened to that yesterday, it was I, before even the follow up question from Marco about Muradovic in particular. I, I kind of thought that was was about, and it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the combination of Muradovic and McDonald pre lockdown was really effective. It was hit those two plus Bradman were a key part of why they all were picking up results at the back end of the season before we had the shutdown and. It's, to Adam's point, it is very much a case of, I might be new, James, you said it, different managers come in and they want different things out of their players. And I think there's obviously something that Muradovic needs to improve on in his game. I'm not sure what it is. We'll probably never hear what it is. But I think there's obviously a, le- a message being sent there. He needs to hear it. And look, I think Wendell Halls has come in. And the one thing you know about Dylan Wendell Halls is he will throw himself around, bring energy to the game. And I thought he brought that in space tonight. And look, his confidence with his finishing might be a little bit off at the moment, but he had two or three chances to score on another night 
he probably gets one in the back and letting the Raw pick up the three points. So I can kind of see what Warren's looking for in the front two with McDonald and Wendell Halls. As I said, McDonald to hold the ball up and Wendell Halls to run in behind. I can see the effectiveness of that. But it's a combination we haven't really seen much of before lockdown. And Muradovic might need to change something in his game to get back into the side. Yeah, for Scott, exactly what I was just thinking then as well. I think I think Muradovic is sort of, uh, he's fallen uh, just a bit unlucky, the fact that he's such a simple, uh, similar player to the fact that Scott McDonald likes to hold the ball up as well. And we, we've seen, uh, especially under Robbie Fowler when he was here, that that's sort of the way that the Brisbane Royal played. The uh, the Brisbane Royal played the ball into his feet and then he sort of flicked the ball onto the likes of uh, Brad Inman. So the fact that it does look like Warren Moon is going to go for uh, a, a false nine in the likes of Scott McDonald and uh, like a player that run in behind like Dylan Wenzel Halls. It's sort of like we might have to see uh, Merzen Muradovic change his game a little bit to possibly make the side as a uh, player that get in behind or he might have to try to develop his game to be more of a complete attacker, be able to bring different things into his game because I think he's just, yeah, he's just a bit a little bit too similar for Scott McDonald right now and it's just a different game plan that Warren Mees has in mind. The other thing, James, is Merzman Ravage is still a very, very young player. He's only just making his way in professional football, having kicked into the A-League squad at the turn of the year. So he's a very young player just making his way. And like all young players, they, they quite often get a taste of the first team, then they go away and improve their game. That's not uncommon across any sport in any team. It's just, it's the way it is. The young player gets the opportunity, they get some confidence at that level, and they go away and improve their game and come back a better player. I'm, I'm sure that's what Merzman's going to do. We can only hope. Okay, uh, let's keep moving on with the news stories now. And um, now this is a headline that I'm dreading reading for one <laughs> word in particular. Uh, India Page Riley has signed with Danish champions Fortuna Joring on a three-year deal. Adam, I hope your Google Translate was right on that. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, look, this is this one came from as a bit of a surprise. Uh, that looked, and there's no question. I think everyone. It's very, very clear how big a fan I am of India Paige Riley. Um, I wish her nothing but the best. I think she she is a superstar in the making. And look, I think three years in De- Denmark uh, playing and potentially playing Champions League on the biggest stage is going to do her game wonders. I think she, I think, is one of those players that I think really comes into calculations that she has has an important time and you know, does the right things over in Denmark, she might be one that, you know, be looking at the 2023 World Cup Matilda squad. I think that she's, she's definitely in that um, that window. But look, all, all the best to her. And yeah, it, it comes a bit of a surprise. And I should point out as well, if India Page Riley is to make the Matilda squad for the 2023 World Cup, I'm expecting Adam to be front and centre in the act of support with a Page Riley jersey on. I would not be at all surprised <laughs> if that happened. It's, it's a great move for her in all seriousness, isn't it? It's, a, it's obviously the Danish champions, a club that's doing tremendously well over there and going to be in the Champions League next season, assuming that the situation in Europe allows for continental football to go ahead. It's a great move. It's a move that will set India Page Riley up for her footballing career for the next 10 years if everything goes right. And Adam mentioned she could be playing for the Matildas. She's playing for the junior national team for Australia, but also eligible for New Zealand. So if the Matildas want to get her in that side, they might, need, they might want to keep an eye on that. But... Also, they did give Indy the number seven as well. So this isn't a player at the back end of the squad somewhere. This is someone that if you get the number seven shirt at any football club, you're not a backup player. You're going in there to be a first-team regular, I think. And Unless you're Alexis Sanchez. I don't want to talk about Alexis Sanchez. But it's <laughs> Indy, last year in the W League, Indy had a breakout season, that's fair to say. And tremendous, tremendous season. It's a great move for her. And we wish her all the best. But it's a massive blow for the Brisbane Roar. We've seen the last couple of months, that's the... 
fourth or fifth player the Roar have lost now from the from that W League squad. It's going to be a, a very different team when they start their season, isn't it? Yeah, India. She's uh, I, I like I like uh, like Adam. I've actually got a soft spot for India as well, seeing that I, she went to school not far from me as well. So a bit of a local star for me. So I will I'll always support her when I see her doing really well. So yeah, for India anyway, she's a, it's a massive move for her. On a three-year deal there, and like you said, Scott, with the number seven jersey, I was—I'm not going to lie—I'm not really. I have a massive uh, amount of knowledge over in the Danish football league for women's teams. I wasn't really sure if she'd get a lot of game time, but being a number seven, you'd have to hope that she gets a lot of game time. And with the Matildas World Cup coming up in um, 2023, you have to hope that she's in there. And hopefully, we cap her before New Zealand does, because otherwise, it'd be a massive loss for us. But. Something I want to ask you guys is, is this going to be the start of the exodus for, like, we've already seen a lot of the uh, W League players from the Royal go, and the fact that uh, India is one of the younger players that we had there, and I thought that we might be able to build a team around her and some of the younger players, and even some of the younger players with a bit of potential is heading off overseas, so what what's the rest of the W League team going to look like next season then? You, you must have a gift, Scott, because you, <laughs> you, you've just asked the question that I was actually the point that I was about to make, that... That, yeah, look, you are absolutely right that, you know, the W League, I think, will change. Um, well, it was going to change when the Matildas players are all went off to Europe. But now that European clubs seem to be um, signing players like uh, Indy on three-year deals, look, it is going to be incredible what the W League looks like next season. And it could be, I don't want to t- tag it in a derogatory term, but... It's, it is going to be turning into basically a development league because you're not going to have the... You, a, you're not going to have the internationals here, either Australian or foreigners. You're not going to have the good NWSL players that are here that have come in the past. It is going to be a completely different league. And I think I think people, and fans are going to be patient. I think the standards are going to drop off significantly, but that's because of the player drain. But it's certainly not something to give up on. I think, uh, obviously, there's still a lot of talent out there. And there's talent that will be unearthed that wouldn't have got the opportunity because of this. So it is going to be different, uh, the W League. Put that way. Yeah, that's going to be the big thing to look at is what players get their chance in the W League. To your point, Scott, there's only two Matildas currently in the most recent squad who have not signed for clubs in Europe. It's Emily Van Egmond and Alana Kennedy, and you have to imagine that's purely because they've got contracts in America that they haven't been able to move on from yet. So you have to say, in the next 12 months, the entire Matilda squad will be playing in Europe, and including with players like Indy Page Riley, Emma Checker, players like that moving overseas as well. Not just the Matilda squad, but anyone challenging for the Matilda squad is probably going to be overseas in Europe. So I think there's going to be a mass exodus of players going over Europe. I don't think it's a bad thing, though. If we're going to actually contend for that World Cup in 2023, we need our players tested against the best on a consistent basis. So that's where they get to their absolute best. So I think that's that's that's, that's what has to happen. But for the Raw, it's going to be a completely different side. Mackenzie Arnold won't be there. Lise Kelly Knight won't be there. Claire Polkinghorn won't be there. there. Katrina Gorey won't be there. Obviously, Indy won't be there. Ali Razzo won't be there. He probably won't be seeing Celeste Beret or... Carson Pickett back guys. That's basically the, the first eleven from the last season. Probably won't be back. So there's a hefty rebuilding job there for Jake Goodship ahead of him. And that could be one thing on Jake Goodship as well. That could be one reason why they brought him in because obviously he's had success with the Y League side for the Raw. That you could have brought him in with an idea on. Well, look, this is going to be a fairly young side as well. So why not bring in a coach that has experience developing uh, young players? Now, to answer your original question, Scott. Um, I think it's either three, four, or five words, depending on how you want to class this. Uh, the W League next year will be NPL Women's All-Stars. 
That's that's my way of seeing. <laughs> and look, I can honestly say from first-hand experience, there is plenty of talent going around in yeah. the NPL uh, women's competition as well. Some of the names that just leap up leap off the bat immediately. You've got Lainey Fryer at the Gap, who, by the way, 12 goals in six games so far. She's pretty good. Uh, you've got Mariel Hecker at Lions, Shay Connors at Logan, Meg McGilligan at Logan. Well, actually, you've got pretty much the entire Logan forward line uh-huh. at the moment. I was about to say, Shay Connors is a great example, <laughs> James, of a player who was playing in the MPLW who has stepped up to the W League in the last 12 months and done a really good job. Ray- Riley Bazin would be another one. So we're already you, seeing, yeah. already seeing uh-huh. players stepping up from that level into the W League and doing a fine job. So... I think the players are there. This is actually going to create more opportunities and create more professional female footballs in Australia, which is only a good thing. Yeah, and there. Yeah, you go, Adam. Oh, so I was just going to say that. Look, I think from looking from the Brisbane Raw perspective, is that if we're worried about that, you know, oh, that there's plenty of players leaving. I think the only, I guess, saving grace to that is Brisbane Raw are not the only club that are losing players. You know, at, you know, basically. Because because I think every every club has got has had the international players, their top players, you know, either leave, probably will not come back. So I think everyone starts on even keel. But I think the the overall standard may go down. But I think, but from a raw point of view, as far as their chances go, they may be one side that actually could come out of this well because obviously there's a very very good MPL Queensland women's competition. Unfortunately, we don't see much of the others, so we don't know what the relative standard is. But look, you'd be confident seeing you know, the top you know, 10, 12 players in MPL at the moment um, to do a good job at W League level. Absolutely, they're definitely capable of stepping up to the challenge if they're given the opportunity as well. Um, and, you know, the two names that I'm going to throw out there as well, just to help shore up that back line, you're going to have um, from Gold Coast United, Momo Hayashi, who I'm a big fan of, largely because she can just score from halfway. And uh, <laughs> the fullback from Lions, Cannon Cloth as well. She's a phenomenal left back, very attacking. And, you know, that may get me barred from Richlands, but so be it. I think she's going to be it. And, you know, looking at some of these plays, you are going to see who actually pays attention to NPL women's. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Cannon Cloth as well. It's like, I, I had her in my head when you were thinking about some of the players that could possibly step up. Uh, I actually went to school with Sean and Lani Freyer, and uh, just a bit of a shout-out to you guys. I, I mentioned to them and screen recorded the clip when you said last week that uh, you're looking forward to see them play, and they're like, why are that? And I was like, you're a big deal. You're top goal scorer now. Everyone's on the lookout for you. But um, <laughs> they, they, they're actually in the youth squad at, at um, the Brisbane Row at one stage, so we may end up seeing them back there, but... I think for me, uh, I I remember seeing the FFA XI or X thirteen, uh, like the thirteen thing, a principles come out, and they're, they're looking like they're bringing they're lo- they're wanting to bring the women's league up to a top five league in the world. So I mean, the fact that it'll be a, probably like a de- development a developmental league next season, they're talking about FFA cups for the women. Uh, there's always like I think yeah, I, I think it, it would definitely be something that we patient about. But I, I was chatting to my mate Josh Bratt, and uh, the fact that uh, I was I was chatting to him. And I was talking about the men's uh, national team for Belgium. You look at their league, they don't have a very big league over there, but the fact that a lot of their players come out of there really good is because they get a lot of time in their league. They get time to develop, and that game time, I think it's a lot of... uh, In the A-League anyway, a lot of foreign players and a lot of players that might be a bit past it take up that opportunity for younger players to get a game time. So we might see the young crop of Matildas coming through actually get more game time to develop and then more chance to go overseas, prove themselves, and then actually make, may see us end up winning a World Cup. Look, I think I made the point on a previous show as well that, you know, for the, for the Socceroos' golden generation in 2006, for that, 
for that squad, there are only two players that are playing in the a in well in Australia. I can't remember if the A League had started yet started or not one year, at that time. One year in. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, having the majority, with looking at winning a World Cup, having you know the bulk of the squad away playing in Europe and North America and whatnot, that, that can only be a good thing. But like I said, also as well, it leaves a lasting legacy that if you've got players that are playing here in you know, Australia, you know, consistently you know, getting the opportunities in, w, in the W League, then look, that's, that's going to you know, make them you know, better as well. So look, I think it's going to be different, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Definitely. And I think we're going to have to, you know, continue discussing the future of the W League in uh, future shows. One topic I want to bookmark for later as well is if you're going to, like, if you're going to get an NPL women's all-stars team from Queensland to uh, feature for the Raw, who would that be? So something to think about for the future. I think the commentator um, of FQ should be doing that personally. You'd think, you'd think so. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Elise Cullen Knight had ACL surgery. That was one from you, Scott. So uh, I hope that all recovery all goes well because obviously, you know, as soon as she gets back out there, the better it is from the Matildas. And uh, I just want to also move on. So as I mentioned in my uh, rather lengthy introduction, we do encourage any and all feedback and uh, contributions from listeners. And we got a fairly detailed email from Jamie McInnes. I apologize if I got that wrong. Uh, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Hopefully we get a few more of those. Um, yeah, so I wanted to get our thoughts on a few things. So, um, first question he asked was, does the development of Ballymore uh, end chances of it ever hosting an A-League side? Scott, we'll start off with you. Yeah, I would say so, James. If it's going to become a training facility for the QRU and the ARU, I would imagine yes. Yeah, I would assume Probably a better use for it, in fairness, as well. Yeah, look, I think... Um yeah, the the chance I think there there might be other venues, but look, uh, then again, you know, if if you can strike a deal wherever you can with stadium space or so scarce as far as you know suitable facilities, then you know why, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so something I just want to confirm you guys. So is the Reds won't be playing there? It's just where it's going to be training. As far as I feel like I should probably answer this as a re- long time Reds <laughs> member and long suffering fan, especially after that result Saturday night. That was. Uh, punching the guts. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think I'm assuming the Reds will try to continue playing at Suncorp Stadium, but it wouldn't surprise me if they get a few matches against, say, uh, well, Harpart is not knowing what Super Rugby is going to look like next year, but say they play, I don't know, the Chiefs at Suncorp Stadium, who are currently 0 7 in Super Rugby Ateora. Um, I, yeah, I can see them taking a game or two there if they've got a 12,000 seat stadium. That's just me, okay. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I was thinking when I saw it, I was thinking, oh yes, brilliant. The rule will be able to hopefully play there. It's sort of central to uh, everyone there, and if, if, if it's possible, where the rule can maybe get a bit of space there and a bit of time, and maybe work something with the QRU and with like maybe one game there every every few weeks, possibly have some more games at Dolphins. I think it's definitely something that the Southsiders can't really argue about too much, seeing it's central. But uh, you're trying to start a war here. Maybe, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I'm on the north side here, and we, hey, you guys, you guys the have north. the coronavirus over there. Oh, don't start that. <laughs> yeah. <nonsense>. Yeah. <laughs> that word's banned on this show. We should have told you that before we started recording. Well, the the, the COVID nineteen then. <laughs> unless it's re- yeah, corona is banned unless it's referring to the raw midfielder from Aloisi's first season. In that case, it's all good. Anyway, um, I suppose. Like, Ballymore was quite central uh, to Brisbane City's A-League bid in one point as well. So I'm actually going to jump down the list of questions because this is something that I feel like we can just touch on very quickly as well. Obviously, the news came through earlier in the week that Mike Charlesworth is 
getting ready to offload his license in some way, shape or form. We're still waiting for the exact understanding of how that's going to happen. But who like we've all said, or Scott, Adam and I have said this as well, and I'm guessing you'll be the same other Scott. Um, I feel like the best thing for the Mariners is to try and keep them in Gosford. But if there are not if there isn't a viable local option, they have to they have to look elsewhere. They have to make sure that the league stays at twelve teams for next year. Even if that means giving them the Cleveland Browns treatment of saying, All right, the Mariners name, logo, colours, everything stays in Gosford and someone is going to come and bring the new like it's going to be essentially starting from square one like the Baltimore Ravens did, even though it had the same owner, largely the same roster, different coach. Um, but on that as well, yeah, I just feel like that might be the best way to do it. And as I said on Monday to two of you, if I'm if I'm running or involved with one of those bids that didn't get up in the 11 and 12 um, team expansion bid, I'm getting on the phone to my investors. I'm getting on the phone to the FFA and finding out what the asking price is. Yeah, for sure. I think I think the Mariners and the Mariners fans—they've been—they're very loyal fans, but they're starting to get a bit of a—they get starting to get a bit annoyed at the way that they play, and the, especially with the owners not really investing a lot of money into the club. I think for me, if if the Brisbane team was to be the, in the situation and they were looking at bringing it anywhere else other than Brisbane, I'd be very annoyed as well. So the fact that um, I think I think the question was uh, would any Queensland teams look to buy in it? I think that uh, any if any uh Queensland teams were to buy, I'd be very annoyed as a man uh, as a Mariners fan, but the fact that uh, I think Brookvale probably be another option that they possibly could move to. Uh, we may even see like someone that wants to pump money into the Mariners, where we may see something like a a jersey change, like we saw with Melbourne Heart and Melbourne City. So that, I mean, that would be something to, good to see. Maybe bring a bit of the glory days back to uh, the Central Coast Mariners. But for for a long time now, they've been a developmental team where they're bringing in a lot of young players through. But the fact that they bring a lot of young players through, but they're not really getting any results. We've seen a little bit of an incline this year. Uh, we said we sort of see it. We need to see a few more results because I think there was something chatted about at one stage. If they finished bottom of the league for too many seasons, they possibly could have their uh, license revoked, which uh, I think for something for the Mariners fans would hate to see. But some teams that would be loving to get into the A League, some of the the bids that were close would be uh, would be loving to see themselves get, maybe getting a chance there in the A League. But for the Mariners anyway, they definitely need the owner to help maybe get a. Get, get them up to a position where they need to be at. Yeah, you've actually just taken exactly the session I was going to make. I would have thought if Brookvale Oval is going to be um, updated as one of these half a dozen stadiums in Sydney, they're going to get renovations. If that's going to happen, that would probably be the only the only move that would actually kind of, to a some degree, keep the Mariners' fan base on side. Because it's not too far from Gosford to the northern north shore of Sydney compared to where they could move to, for example. So that would be the only one that would actually work as a legitimate move where they stay as the Mariners. Probably becoming the North North Sydney Mariners or something like that. But if I was a Mariners fan, I'd be so... No, that, that, might be tra- <laughs> that might be trademark. But if I was a Mariners fan, I'd be so ticked off with this when this came out on Tuesday morning. I've just had a win at the end of the season. And you can almost see the, the next good Mariners team coming through with some of those young players that they've got coming through there. It's almost resemblance in a way of 2010 when they would, when they just got a new coach under with Graham Arnold. They had some good young players and they brought some good experienced players. And then all of a sudden they find themselves in the grand final. And they've got a good coach now with Alan Sturgis. They've got the good young players. What they don't have is the senior players who are performing at a good level. And what do you want to say about guys like Daniel McBreen, John Hutchinson, 
Alex Wilkinson, these type of guys from when the Raw were going... Patrick Zahnswag. Him too, when the Raw were going head-to-head with them back in the day, they were performing for that side. And that's what they're missing. And if I was a Mariners fan, I'd be thinking, I'd be so annoyed that we're just on an upwards trajectory to a degree, and this has come out again. I know they've got issues with Mike Charlesworth, but I would be so annoyed if I was them. I hope they stay in the Central Coast. It's a great facility for football, not just the stadium, but they've also got the centre of excellence there. It would be a massive loss for the game if they moved on, but if there's no one going to pay for it, you only got one choice. Yeah, look, just, just a quick point on that is that there's a, there's a discrepancy at the moment on what is actually being reported. The World Game and our favourite journals there um, are saying that, oh, the Mariners were going to hand back the licence. Then the Mariners come back and said that Mike Charlesworth is, worth is going to look for investors and basically try and sell the club. I think if it's if he if he gets us if he sells the club, then there's a good chance that Central Coast Mariners will remain the same. But if he hands back the license, then it's open season, and now I reckon FFA would be foolish not to consider all bids, including moving that license to say a Canberra, maybe somewhere in Sydney, maybe somewhere in Melbourne. So it all comes down to what Mike Charlesworth is final act. Whether he does uh, try and sell the club, I think four million dollars is the is the amount that's been bandied around. That's probably their own chance for Central Coast Mariners to remain. But I think overall, 12 teams in the A-League is a must. It must stay that way. And FFA may need to make sure that it happens at all costs. $4 million, so just give me a sec, guys. Um, I'll chip in okay. 50 bucks if you're going to buy it, James. Yeah, I've got a bit I, of future, uh, spare change in my wallet as well. I can put yeah, it in as I, well. Uh, sadly, I didn't win the lotto, so unfortunately I won't be able to buy the Mariners <laughs> just yet. And turn so into the, the Central Karina Mariners won't be happening then? <laughs> no, oh, no, it'll be the Central Coast Jameses. Okay. No. I'm just picturing what the logo is going to be. Yeah, like. I was just thinking that as well. What's the badge going to look like on the kit? And... It's going to look like a... It's going to look like what, me. What, what, looking what's the colours going to look like? Are we going to have a, have a different colour jersey? I think it's something, something uh, for people to think about. I don't mind the uh, yellow and gold. Anyway. okay, so Deflating just, uh, the footballs all around the A-League. The Central Coast Jameses. Why? They don't play in cold weather. Anyway. Uh, we'll... Or in Perth. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I just quickly uh, do this very, very quickly because I know one of you guys had a very good suggestion for this. Who would be the most likely Queensland team to buy the Mariners A-League licence? Uh, so if it was going to be a Queensland team, we'll start off with you, Adam. Where should, Which one should it be? Look, I actually think it might be one of the Gold Coast clubs or here's, here's something for Here a change. Is. Maybe the Gold Coast Knights and the Gold Coast United might actually combine their, their forces and pull and get add one consortium. Maybe call it the Gold Coast Galaxy, which was the original uh, name before Clive Palmer took over. So that, that would be a blast in the past, because I'll tell you what, Gold Coast, I think, would be in the running. Scott? There's a lot of setup down there on the Gold Coast to make it happen. They've got the stadium, they've got the inbuilt rivalry with the Roar, obviously. I wouldn't be surprised if actually the Knights just did it on their own. With the investment they're making around that club in the last 12 to 18 months, I think they might look at it and think, yeah, working with Gold Coast United would work well, but we can do this on our own without them, so let's go. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that. And an alternative team name, whatever the bid might be from Gold Coast, is Gold Coast, it's not Clive Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think uh, the Gold Coast team will probably be something that uh, I think that will bring the league a lot of uh, I've got a lot of like rivalry with the the Brisbane Roar especially, and I think that uh, over the last few seasons of the NPL, we've seen Gold Coast Knights do really well. We've also seen Gold Coast uh, United actually starting to come back and bit of a, be a bit of a force in the NPL of late. But uh, I think yeah, so, something like Adam said before, the, if they were to combine teams, I think I think uh, the Lions probably would be uh, another team that possibly could get it. They're, they've been in the uh, FFA Championships for the last few seasons now. 
and the fact that uh, maybe the fact that they're too close to Brisbane may see that bid come out because uh, I don't know if they want to have another Brisbane team, maybe possibly an M3 rather than an M1, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also think there may be uh, a certain cohort of loyal blue and yellow uh, pom-pom wavers from Perry Park. <laughs> that might yep. be interested in seeing this. Okay, okay, we're not now, chuckling because we were suggesting, we're just chuckling at the fact that the, um, those yellow and blue pom-pom waves would be absolutely, would absolutely be off the scale if not one but two teams from Orange beat them to an A-League licence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Jamie, I just want to say if you're listening, a big thank you for your uh, email. We'll put a pin in the questions about the Raw Stadium and the Olympics uh, for next week because we do need to move on to the NPL, uh, NPL women's and FQPL discussion because I've just realised how long we've been talking and uh, we'll start off with the signings which well let's be honest I think this is going to probably have about four or five more that have broken in the hour we've been recording as uh, Adam just frantically checks social media to see if there's <laughs> any <laughs> oh. okay so uh, yeah we'll start off with the NPL uh, transfers Daniel Fabrizio to Brisbane City from Edgeworth, Edgeworth Eagles Marco Jankovic to Lions from Bentley Greens. James Brown to Gold Coast United from Hume City. I promise if I get a Gold Coast United game, not to make an I feel good joke. That's going on record here. It's already been done. Everyone else has. Why not? Because I'm I'm better than that. Uh, Justin McHale to Gold Coast United from Malta. Piers Clark to Southwest Queensland Thunder from South Melbourne. Uh, Oceania Club of the Century, South Melbourne. Can't let them... uh, not be called by their full name and Seb Usai to Logan from Spain so uh, just quickly going around the room we'll start off with you Scott um, standout transfer there I think it might be the two goalkeepers for the two clubs in the FQPL Pierce Clark and Seb Usai we saw both those clubs play a really good game at the weekend we'll talk about it in a minute but I think both those goalkeepers fill massive holes for those sides shoring up those positions I think both have got really good NPL experience and they'll make a massive impact for both those sides yeah, for, for me, it's probably Mark Yanko, Yankovic or uh, James Brown, both coming back to clubs that they were at before. They have a point to prove. And uh, especially with Mark Yankovic coming in for a player like Sean, Sean Carlos that uh, has been such an integral part to Lions for the last uh, season or so. He's got big shoes to fill, and I think that he may be able to help Lions get there to uh, another title. So I think he'll probably be a massive signing for them. Adam. Yeah, look, I think of that of that list, and um, without repeating, obviously I agree, I agree with both of you that you know all those signs, actually all these signs are great signs. The one that stands out for me is Daniel Fabrizio um, coming in um, with John Carlos Solzano uh, moving to Knights for Brisbane City. He becomes a very very important part of that side, and, and if he's able to find the back of the net, you know, and score prolifically, Brisbane City all of a sudden become a um, a, a contender. But also as well, shout out to um, Justin McAuliffe as well, uh, fellow countryman. Um, of mine, so I wish him well. And he just started following us on, on the uh, on the Raw Review Facebook page, so I hope he's listening and go well, if, son. Yeah, if not, you can send it to him, Adam. Send the podcast <laughs> to him. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, in the interest of time, uh, we'll go through the NPL uh, matches from the weekend and we'll just talk about what stood out to us. So I'm going to lead off my big takeaway. He's a, a legitimate contender now. Uh, 2-2 draw with Gold Coast Knights. Goals from Ballerizo and Poliak. Uh, yeah, open the scoring and then pull back a 2-1 deficit. There's a lot to like about what's going on at Heath Park. Over to you, Scott. Yeah, for me, East as well. They've been brewing over the last few weeks. Two massive results against two heavyweights in the competition. The last week with the Gold Coast Knights with a 2-2 draw and then the week before with Pen Power with a draw as well. So 
for me, they've brought in Jade North as well recently as well. They've got uh, Abraham Yango, who's been firing for them as well. I, I saw him play against Olympic uh, before the break, and uh, he looked electric, uh, very quick and very uh, direct. So I think for for me, East looks like a contender that might be able to push into the finals and actually do something for the MPL finals for this season. Adam? Yeah, look, uh, the, the takeaway game for me was actually on Sunday, the game that Scott and I both had, uh, potential power 1-0 over... Um, Brisbane Raw Youth and look I think a couple things from that uh, potential power I still think they're finding their feet but they're, they're not so badly placed they've um, you know three wins one lo- uh, one loss oh, sorry sorry no that's, that's wrong yeah that's, that's right yeah three wins one loss and I think that they're still finding their feet at the moment they, uh, they it's still not clicking for them from what we saw um, on Sunday but also as well um, Brisbane Raw Youth I think they're going to be in this for a long way as well I think as long as they can keep the core of that squad uh, together I think they'll be uh, right so I think there's two teams there as well that are going to be in the reckoning but I think it goes deep seven, eight teams potentially into four spots and also I should point out as well that Peninsula Power record of three wins and a loss has had their eight one eight nil win for, over Magpies Crusaders from the opening weekend, wiped from that, which is now counted as a bye, mm. because as we all know, Magpies Crusaders aren't participating anymore this year because it was a lot of travel. Okay, Scott, your big takeaway from the weekend. I was going to take a big picture view of it and say that this competition is becoming more and more even by the week. I mean, we all looked at it at the start of the year and said there's three or four standout sides, and there's a secondary group and a third group. I don't think that's the case at all anymore. I think that. Across the board, maybe there's two teams at the top with Lions and Gold Coast who still are a level above the rest, probably Peninsula Power as well. But you can, as Adam's point, you can name five or six teams in that midfield group who could conceivably quite comfortably play finals with their performances. Look at teams like Gold Coast United, Brisbane City, East you've talked about, Brisbane Raw Youth. There's a, there's, Morton Bay aren't too bad either. There's some really good sides in the NPL at the moment. And even Sunset Coast Wanderers at the bottom end of the table they put up a really good fight against Olympic up on that up there on Sunday afternoon. So, there's, I think this competition is much more even, and and it's a great thing, isn't it? Because last year it was really predictable. Probably about five, six games, and you probably knew who the top four sides were going to be, and then it was a matter of which of those four sides would perform at the best at the business end of the season. At the moment, there's, as I said, eight or nine sides who could be in the finals. It's great. I, I would actually go past um, still on lines and Gold Coast Knights, who obviously both had draws. But you've got to take into account, they had a uh, ding-dong battle on Wednesday night that, you know, basically I reckon that the effects of that game may have lingered into the weekend for them. So I, I say we'll write that up, but you know what? Them drawing games more than winning them, you know what? I think it's only good for the league as a whole. And also we should point out Brisbane City, uh, the other side in that game with Lions, they were coming off a fairly draining clash with um, Gold Coast United last Tuesday night. I mm. should know who they played. I commentated the game. <laughs> but... Yeah. So. You'd think so. Um, also, small uh, random trivia note as well. I've been doing GPS First 11 commentary for Double Take Sports as well the last couple of weeks as well. And I realised about um, f- uh, about five minutes after kickoff, maybe, that um, the striker for Brisbane Boys College, my old school, actually took to the field for uh, Brisbane City in that game against Gold Coast United. So, yeah, just a, a random... Busy little... afternoon for him then, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was a Tuesday night game. Oh, okay, I don't. I don't think he was involved in the Brisbane City side, and uh, with that signing as well during the week, I you know he may be uh, in the developmental range. Okay, over to the NPL Women's Round 19 fixtures. Um, big takeaway from this one for me was, well, Lions back with a roar, although they did only score seven. Adam, 
Uh, yeah, seven goals against Morton Bay. I think actually uh, Robert Skew might be a little disappointed, actually. Uh, oh, that's a bit harsh. With all, with all that's a bit harsh. <laughs> no, should... no, I apologise. We should point out as well, uh, Amy Gunston with a hat-trick as well. So he's yeah. just adding to the list of possible goal scorers they've got there at Richland's. Yeah, no, but look, uh, for me to stand out looking at those results, um, East versus the Gap, 4-3. Um, look, East have got a very, very good team. I think that, you know, they've just come out of nowhere. Like, we were looking at the likes of Lions, you know, Kapalabar and whatnot, who Kapalabar also had a shock loss. But look, I think East are right in this all of a sudden, you know. Uh, Alira Toby, Rosie Sutton in that side. Zoe Lambie's been, you know, been there from the start, who's experienced across the league. Um, they have got a very, very good side, and um, I expect them to be well in the fish with the likes of Lions and Gold Coast United. And over to you, Scott. Yeah, for me, uh, that that was just a massive, a massive win for East over over Gap. There, we've seen uh, that the Gap have been banging in a lot of goals of recently up the lights with Lions as well. Uh, commiserations to Morton Bay; they're not having the best season with the women this season. Very, uh, very close to my heart with the team lo- local to me, but the fact that. Uh, yeah, they're in they're in a bit of a developmental stage right now. They don't have very a lot of um, experience there, but hopefully they'll do better in the future. But uh, yeah, the fact that uh, they've signed Alira Toby, which was destined for Spain at one stage that you guys brought, but um, the fact that uh, she could possibly get there, that's a massive signing for them. Uh, yeah, it's 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 really good to see that there's a few more teams competing competing with some of the bigger teams that we thought that would be there at the start of the season, just similar to the MPL. Definitely, men. definitely yes. is all. The, the only the only positive I'll say for Morton Bay, if I was, was negative about them, the positive that they did win the three underage games. So, look, there is hope for the future. And I think as well with the, um, obviously with the new facility going in there, I think, yeah, obviously it's going to be a lean time at the moment. But if you're looking at a long-term view, I think they're in good hands. So that's, that's a positive. And also with that as well is Morton Bay, like, know what they're doing here. They're not trying to get back to the grand final that they were in last year. This is an all-out rebuilding project, so it's almost expected. Like Not that not yeah. that it makes, you know, losing by 7, 10... It's a big rebuild, whatever. James. Yeah, it is, but it's more just like... You know what you're signing up for with Morton Bay there. So, yeah. Anyway. Six into four, James, is the way the MPLW is going to work out in the end because Lions, Gold Coast, Logan, Gap, East and Cabalabar... All six of those sides are playing unbelievably good football at the moment. Only four can make the finals. And honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sit here and make a guess as to which two would miss out because they're all really good sides with tremendous experience in them. And on on any given day, we've seen that... Well, we wouldn't have picked East to beat the gap at the weekend, but they were able to do it. So I think all six of those sides are playing tremendously well at the moment. Dev? I definitely would have picked South knockoff Capella by oh, either. <laughs> All right, um, and we'll just all say, I think we can all say in uh, unanimous agreement, uh, game of the round for FQPL was on Sunday evening, Mitchelton 3, Souths United 3. Late I think there's from more Mitchie. significant games than that, to be honest with you, James. I yeah, think the, the earlier <laughs> game up in Toowoomba, I think that was much more significant between Thunder and, and Logan. I think that, that's a great uh, result for Logan. They're now, a point, they're now on top of the table with a game in hand, so there's, they've got close the last couple of years to going up into the... MPL, they've fallen just short. They're in a great position to do so now. And the team we all thought were going to do so, Western Pride, they've fallen into a massive hole since lockdown. They've they've barely fired a shot since lockdown. I'm not sure what's going on out there at Briggs Row, but they've looked like they've come out of lockdown struggling because they were going quite well before it. But a couple of poor losses to start the season resumption out there. 
Well, I will say in my defence, I did say Mitchelton uh, South is the game of the round purely because of the comeback from 3-0 down for Mitchelton. Anyway, Scott, what what do you think? Which one would you say? Yeah, with? I was thinking that same one as well with South and Mitchelton as well. Uh, the, the comeback from South to actually get up and end up drawing that game, it might see them put a bit of momentum coming into uh, some following fixtures in the future. and may see them jump up a bit, a bit on the ladder because, uh, as we can see, they're... They're not having the best start of the season, but this is always a positive. Taking one point against a team like Mitchelton, who's sitting in third place right now, is always a, a big thing, especially coming from 3-0 down. So I think, yeah, it's... Uh, actually, I've got that around the wrong way, haven't I? Uh, Mitchelton, Mitchell yeah, yeah, okay. We but, knew what you meant. <laughs> yeah, I was we, just like... We 70, I was like, 76th minute, 84th minute, 78th minute, surely that's the wrong way around. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that still is a massive point for uh, South United. To, uh, pick up a point against Mitchelton, so the fact that um we may see and may end up seeing them come back and hopefully move up the ladder a little bit more. Definitely. All right. Uh, that'll do it for uh, our NPL recap as well. Should mention, you know, not so subtle plug. Every match of every uh, football Queensland senior competition is live on NPL TV, so you can sign up for that for free. I... Some of some of them even have good commentators, don't they, Adam? If you're lucky. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, I do. Uh, oh, some yes, sorry, commentators, yes, some other commentators. <laughs> yes, but, and also as well, uh, hopefully that the uh, the app will be ready soon. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, we would go into a Brisbane Raw preview for next Monday night against Sydney FC, but there's really not a whole lot to look ahead to here, is there, just yet? Well, one thing, one thing I was thinking of possibly asking earlier on in the thing, when... Uh, when Scott mentioned about the Raw may having to play some youth in their final games if they're already out of the Asian Champions League, do we think that Sydney may play a bit of youth being there um, coming into the season? They've already wrapped up the title. We haven't seen it yet, but uh, maybe wanting to keep their stars fit and firing for the finals. Do we see, do you think we see a bit more of youth youthful side against the Sydney? We something that we might be able to take advantage of. If if Sydney have got three games to go, which I think we think we said they did, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they're going to have to to um like balance out their workload at some point so they might very well do, I don't know what the order of their games is who they have left and all the rest of it but they're going to have to do it at some point so it may very well be a case where where they do that they are tomorrow night Thursday against Adelaide United they're the away team at ANZ Stadium uh, they are the away team on Monday night so you've got a four day turnaround there so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of rotation for Sydney FC although on that if I'm Steve Corica. I'm also saying, hey guys, you want to pull your heads out in the next little while? Because they have not looked like the Premiers so far. Aside from a, maybe a 20-minute patch against Wellington where they put the game away, they need to you know, find a way to flick the switch as well. Yeah, look, they're actually uh, looking a bit like the, um, the now crown champions of England. Um, that, you know, Don't basically talk about that. They, yeah. That's the other band word well, on the show. I, I didn't use that word, <laughs> but uh, yeah, where they seem to sort of splutter out of the, um, seem to splutter out, out of the sort of pause because, um, yeah, look, they haven't looked convincing. Obviously, yeah, as you said, Wellington, they, they fought back in that game, but other than that, they haven't really looked convincing. So they may be, they may be, and it's also human nature, they may be looking at one eye at the finals now that they've, they've got the uh, Premier's plate wrapped up. So look, it's conceivable, again, that yeah, they could actually play a, let's just say a weaker team against the Royal come Monday night. That's because they've also got a busy schedule coming up at Sydney FC, not just into the A-League and the finals. They've also got their Champions League commitments as well. Oh, yeah. the end of their group stage, I'm not sure how the rest of it's all going, but 
They are. They have if got. It's going. They have got that coming. Apparently, it's in a hub situation in different cities around the world. So yeah, some they yeah. somehow got to get to Malaysia yeah. somehow. I don't but know. That's, that's, row, row your boat <laughs> gently down the stream. The point is, though, it's a, a lot of fixtures they've got to cram in, so they are going to have to rotate at some point. I know they're probably it's probably well after the A League, but it's something they're going to have to figure out at some point. That's their problem anyway. Okay, so final question. We'll go around uh, our next podcast. What are we going to be talking about, Scott? A Brisbane Roar shock point against Sydney FC. Adam? Um, I'm just trying to think. <laughs> I'm just trying to look for what's the next uh, NPL game. <laughs> 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 uh, look, it, it's, it's hard to know what actually um, what could come of these, you know, especially you know, getting into the end of the season. Uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll say it's going to be a draw. Sydney versus uh, uh, Brisbane. Scott? I'll finish Adam's joke, joke for him. Fireworks in the M1 derby, James. Sounds down there, like fun. Down there at Coplix on Sunday ah, after Gold Coast versus Brisbane Raw. Which I'm planning to be at. Yes, we will be back next week to recap all the news from the Raw, NPL, NPL Women's and FQPL on the Brisbane Football Review. Um, yeah, thanks, Scott. Yeah, good thanks to see you again, James. Me. Both Scots. Adam, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks, boys. And, uh, yeah, as mentioned as well, obviously we welcome any and all listener feedback. So uh, send an email, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com, Facebook, The Raw Review, Twitter, at BNE Football. We welcome any and all stuff. Um, Check us out on Football Nation Radio. I think that this whole podcast will get replayed there, I hope. And, uh, Scott, how can uh, people keep track of your coverage? Uh, for me, if you want to follow me, I do some YouTube videos on YouTube. So it's Mr. Soccer two seven eight, and I also post up on some Facebook pages as well at Scott McCormick. All right, sounds good. Okay, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back next week in some way, shape, or form. Until then, thanks for listening. Enjoy the football, and we'll talk to you later. <laughs>